The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the producers, the affiliates, or digital platforms hosting this podcast. All content is for the purposes of education, conjecture, and at times entertainment. We promote inclusiveness and diversity. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Into the Deep with Jay Caster. Welcome to Into the Deep. I'm Jay Coster. I am so excited about today's guest. He's a co-founder of the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society. Today's guest is David Bray. David, who's a clairsentient medium for the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society, happens to also be a full-time chiropractic student and going for his doctorate, getting his master's in clinical nutrition. We talk about so much in this episode, like the need for higher education individuals to help move the paranormal field forward. And David shares with us some of his experiences with his paranormal research at spirited homes and locations. This is a great episode and I implore you to strap in and join me as we seek light and journey into the deep with David Bray. Enjoy. David, thank you so much for joining me, man. I truly appreciate you making some time to be on the show, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I, I know Chris had a blast with you. As soon as he was done with your interview, he he called me and was just like, you've got to do an interview with this guy. He's so cool. I'm like, all right. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> we'll get on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're doing it now. Um, and sincerely, uh, my deepest condolences, man, on on, on your loss. Thank you, man. We appreciate that. We're definitely uh, feeling it as a team. It's definitely different trying to sort of find our way again. Um, not having his psychic component and his presence with us in person, anyway. Right. Yeah. In Spirit person. spiritually, we know he's there. Yeah. Right on. It's uh, man. It's. It's so interesting because like uh, as weird as this sounds, like I feel like he's with us right now. Like, I don't know what it is. I just feel like his energy is like just with the two of us right now. And there's something that's just there. Um, take that for, for what it's worth. But that's, that's yeah, my feeling. No, no, absolutely. There's uh, our first couple cases back. I actually uh, kind of sat by myself and, you know, asked him if he's around, if he could give me a sign. And uh, I felt warm, warm much on my face um almost as if to say it's okay i'm here I'm, you know it's okay to move on and i'm not i don't know if chris told you about me but i'm pretty uh i'm pretty tough to impress in terms of uh spirituality and psychic and all this stuff um so for me though that was a definitive like oh wow that was someone definitely like brushed my face right on he did share <laughs> your <laughs> pragmatic approach, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I know who you are. If you wouldn't mind sharing for our viewers and our listeners who you are and what it is you do, my friend. Sure. So I am David Bray. I am the other co-founder of Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society. Um, I was lead investigator, but I passed that off to our 
Balik Eli since he's been on the team long enough, and I think he deserves that title. Um, so I am also a clear sentient medium, which is something that former co-founder Chris kind of helped me to discover and brought me into. Um, and I guess professionally and personally, I am a full-time um, chiropractic student right now going for my doctorate, and I'm also getting a dual degree. So I'm getting my master's degree at the same time in clinical nutrition. Um, so I'm, I like to say I'm, I'm pretty nerdy. I, I tutor. I'm actually a TA uh, in the cadaver lab oh, at, wow. the university, at the University of Bridgeport. So I do dissections and prosections for the uh, physician assistant students there. So I'm very much a science-oriented person with, I guess, a psychic spiritual component to me that I think is very unique to the paranormal world. And uh, yeah, I just, it's part of our philosophy as a team. I think we just, we need more higher education people in the field that are kind of be open-minded enough to help move the field forward. I love that. I, I remember <clears throat> Chris mentioning that, you know, and actually like just looking and seeking truth. And I think, you know, that component of like having that, you know, higher education to approach things with logic and reason. Um, yeah. I think that's, it's a great point that you bring up. And I, you know, everything it's, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know if you know, like when you go through your undergrad, you have to take elective courses in things that you don't care about. <laughs> and um, I always picked electives that would help me in the paranormal world. So for example, I took a theology course. I took a sociology of religion course. Um, several psychology courses were just part of my pre-medical major. Um, so I had to take a lot of that, that type of stuff. So I always did things that would kind of help me understand things in the paranormal world. Um, and I just don't think a lot of people take that opportunity to do things like that. Um, which is a shame, I think. Um, I even took a course in straight logic. Uh, it was a ph philosophy course um, with mathematical reasoning and inductive logic. So uh, I think it goes a long way. And when clients seek us out for truth, for what's actually happening, I think it's a disservice to just go in there from one point of view or from uh, we're a Christian-based team. And I think it's a disservice for us to go in there and just say, you have a Christian problem. Um, yeah, so we go in there, just kind of no preconceived notions, clean slate, and let's let's see what the truth actually tells us. Right on. Now, I've got to ask, what got you on this trajectory? You know, what was it since childhood, teenage years? Like, walk us through that. What was that like? Yeah, so for me, I always explain it like this. I had weird experiences growing up. The example I always use is that I would know who was calling before they called. And this was before caller ID for those <laughs> listening that are, you know, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, oh, it's Aunt Rose is going to call or something. And then like five minutes later, my aunt calls. Things like that. I, I was always that um, kind of loner in school. Um, I should say people wanted to be around me and I just didn't want them around me. <laughs> um, I actually dropped out of high school. So I was bullied and such enough where I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, so it's been a long road for me, education wise, personally. 
And um, yeah, I was always at kid at parties. I would just kind of sit back and observe, just watch people. And I always felt like I didn't fit in. Like, man, everyone's having drinking, smoking. Like everyone thinks that this is what's fun. And I'm just kind of like observing it all, almost like as if I was looking, you know, down from above. Um, very third person esque. And I kind of had inclinations about certain people. I would kind of get visions in my head of things they maybe have done in the past or kind of, I don't know, truths about them. I would feel a certain way about them. And I just kind of ignored it, suppressed it. And it wasn't really until I started working with Chris in 20, late 2015 is when I met him. And we started doing this paranormal thing <laughs> and just being on cases where there's supposed paranormal activity where I'm working with him who's uh you know he's a veteran medium at this point and he kind of would be like oh you know just uh what's the first thing name that comes in your mind and I would just shoot out a name he'd be like oh I wrote that down and I'd be like that's weird so it was kind of one of those things where he was just kind of being like a guess because he thought I had something and sure enough, those guesses were accurate and they would get more accurate over time. And I kind of eventually uh, hit a point where I chose to accept what I had. I have something that I can't explain. I'm a scientist and I don't know how it works. Um, somehow, some way in my brain is getting that information and I'm interpreting it. Uh, and that's that's just really kind of my story. I kind of just through working with the paranormal, I, I how does my psychic gift work? You know, am I getting more visions like a clairvoyant? Am I hearing things like a clairaudient or am I feeling things like, you know, a lot of people use the word empath. Um, I use clairsentience because they are actually different. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do is mostly based on emotions, feelings, sensations of people, places and objects. And it's usually information that I couldn't have known before. Now, when you say there is a difference between uh, clairsentient and uh, empathic or what have you, could for, for those listening, could you delineate the differences? Absolutely. So empath is one of those kind of new age terms that keeps getting thrown out around there. And everyone who, let's face it, we're emo an emotional society. Everything, especially with the internet and everything, we can get very triggered by a lot of things very quickly. So our brains are designed to pick up on body language cues. We're designed to detect subtle changes in the environment. And that goes back to our days when we were hunter gatherers and we had to be aware of predators in the night. So, you know, or someone suspicious walking up to us, I have to be able to look if your hands moving or you have a weapon or this or that. So if I see you walk into a room and you're kind of slouched and you have a frown on your face and you're kind of expressionless, whatever it may be, I can detect that you're probably depressed or you're upset about something, right? Now, if you are acting totally normal and I can sense that you're depressed, but I know why, I'm empathic. It's a psychic ability. So empaths can pick up on the emotions that are previously unknown to them from living people so anyone living clear sentient medium as you would is someone that can pick them up from the, the dead spirits 
So I could take that information and say, um, I could be on a staircase and say, someone fell down the stairs here and cracked the left side of their head open. Because um, I'll be feeling that pain, literally, when I'm standing near that staircase. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think it's a and it's a it's tough because a lot of people will say no i'm literally feeling that emotion that's common that's just being highly intuitive highly emotional um you have to know the why to be empathic and i'm going to say right now on record is bcps we get a lot of slack for this from the paranormal community because we're so kind of controversial i guess Mm. because we don't agree with the norm Paranormal literally means beyond normal. If it was common, it would just be normal. So when, I, I don't think, and this is as a scientist, as a paranormal investigator, as a psychic, it's not as common as we like to think. Um, and that's just kind of, and we note that from our cases. I know we have cases every single weekend, sometimes two in a weekend. And we've been like that for years. And I can tell you that 98% of the time we can debunk almost everything in that case. So that's how rare true paranormal activity is. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because it, it almost feels as though for most people, you know, we, we want to believe what we want to believe. So we're stuck with whatever optics we have, you know, and we're not always, well, not everyone, at least looking at things objectively. Right. So, right having a team like yours come in, um, how often you, you, you know, said you can debunk them, but how often are the people who refute what you're, you're telling them, even after you've shown them the evidence and it's been debunked. It's pretty common. <laughs> um, again, uh, it, there's been cases where people literally would rather have, you know, they'd rather be afflicted by demons, true demons, than just admit that maybe they need to talk to a psychologist or someone, um, or there's just new things. It's okay. You called us in here because you were saying you're afraid. And now we're telling you that what you're experiencing is actually just, you know, an electrical problem. And now you're upset about it. So, you know, again, we're of we're of the mindset that that's okay. We're here to tell you the truth. We give you reports. I'm talking like 10-page reports of everything we find, everything we've done. We do, Chris and I used to write medium reports from two different points of view. I mean, everything comes together. We give it to you. If you're unhappy with that, you have now have documentation that you can share with a second team, uh, get a second opinion. That's fine. We truly believe we do our due diligence and we do it because we're meant to do it. Yeah. Like I say that, you know, <clears throat> when did you realize that this was like, your calling, if if I can call it that, my words. Honestly, it probably would just when Chris and I met on on Halloween, twenty fifteen. I'm not sure if he shared that story with you. Um, and just two people, twenty five years apart from each other, lives on. We we live on two different parts of the state. We come together. We both drive an hour to this location, and we meet. And then just the fact that we were of such similar mindsets with both science and the psychic stuff, um, he impressed me so much. We decided to form the team. And then we made a kind of a pact, I guess. We were like, no demonic cases. We're not going to take them. We're not that 
egotistical to think that that's what we can do, right? Because everyone just wants that thrill. They want that case, mm-hmm. that notoriety. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. And then just, I don't know, as fate would have it, literally like that year, I think we had two of them come up. And we're like, you know, and I, when, I, when I say come up, I mean like a guy messaged me on Reddit from 3,000 miles away. I don't know how he got my username. I don't, I don't even really post on Reddit. I just browse. So I don't know how this guy contacted me, found me and told me that there's a couple in Connecticut that needs our help. I was like, what the, he was flying in from Washington state, came in, met up with me. We went over to the house and that was our first like demonic case. And it was something that just kind of fell on our lap. They had several teams out there. I'm talking, they had shamans, priests, um, ufologists they get every single person you could think of out there and they got no help so we were like the last resort and we just trusted our faith we trusted god that this was meant to to fall on our hands so that kind of to me just fact how that all happened is what said like okay we're meant to be here we're meant to do this and there's got to be a reason that chris and i even met in the first place I mean, just the coincidence that there's, there's no way it's coincidence. I'll say it that way. Right on. Now, in your opinion, do you, you know, when you stated like you came in as like a last resort, all these other different modalities or different practices and what have you tried, um, did you get access to any of their information or their findings before going in or just going in just off the rip nope uh i if there's teams out there that actually share their findings publicly uh, i'd be happy to hear them um but so far in in my experience we've never had a team share case documentation with us they've never i just takes hours to do i don't think people and you're not getting paid for it right um so i we've never received documentation actually there's a pretty well-known team here in Connecticut. They've been on TV and stuff. I won't say names, but we actually took the case from them because they weren't getting results. And we were the only team, we were on that case for a year and a half. We were the only team that got any kind of results at all. And it took, it was, it took effort, believe me. Um, But the clients in the end chose not to follow our process anymore. Hmm. And because they were not following the process, the results came back or the results didn't work. And then the entity came back oh. twice, twice as bad. Um, so yeah, again, that ob- objectivity of you have results. This is clearly working. Why aren't you sticking to it? Mm-hmm. Because people sub- subconsciously or consciously, they want the attention. They want that activity. Gotcha. Now, do you think, you two were able to get results mainly or because of maybe your, you know, your, your faith background. Do you think that's what really drove the results? Both maybe. Um, At that time, it was only three of us on the team and the three of us just had such a spiritual, energetic kind of connection. I just can't even describe it. Um, we talk about it all the time too. me and the, the, the other, uh, investigator. And I remember the first time we went in there, 
we got our asses kicked. I mean, we got no answers and we're like, you know, psychically I could feel that this thing is here, whatever it is. It's just, I know it's here and it feels deceptive and like, it's just kind of hiding in the background, but we could not get evidence. And if we don't have evidence, it's hearsay. Anything a psychic tells you is hearsay, unless you have documentation or some kind of validation of that. Um, so that's why, like, when, I know Chris was the same way. Like, we are try not to be vague at all. We have to be specific or have proof, or you can discount everything I just said. So, um, but the second time we chose to kind of, I don't know, change our game plan, think outside the box. And I, I could remember, like, listening to, like, Silent Night, Holy Night, like, on our way to the investigation and, like, just f- listening to like sermons and prayers. Like, and I'm like, I don't, I listen to like metal. Like that's not, yes. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. like I'm a metal head. You'll find me in the mosh pits. Yeah. I'm not listening to like, you know, Christmas music. And, <laughs> but for some reason, I, there was like this just wave of like, I don't know, energy that came over me that day. And it was just, it was meant to get us to a place where like, we just felt so in control of our faith and of that house we went in we did uh our exercises things that we were planning to do and sure enough we got evidence um that was the uh, really honestly i can't even explain it there was three of us in the house and we told the entity if you're here i want you to knock on the walls for you know we knock once for no twice for yes and because that was one of the claims and we tried to kind of go with that and sure enough three of us in the house no pets no one else we got at least four responses of yes no knocks on the walls again as a scientist i'm going what the hell right like I, like that's terrifying that's genuinely terrifying um but that's some of the evidence that we ended up getting from that night and i just we attributed it all to our our, our god you know and uh we were able to do that through our faith um yeah i really just think it's a combination of using your faith your knowledge your brains to think outside the box and do things that aren't just walking around with a k2 meter and a spirit box you know uh, that just it, you know going going into the science behind it we're not even sure why or how those even work if they're doing anything at all so yeah i don't know fascinating thank you for sharing that I, you know, yeah. I, I've often wondered if <clears throat> what can elicit more of a reaction, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, you know, I'm no expert, <laughs> but I, I've always wondered if what can elicit these reactions is an emotive connection or influence into asking for some sort of, you know, response or call or action. Is is that, am I on the right path here in thinking that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um you know, in this this case in particular, too, kind of helped us open our eyes to how much damage people can do by trying to help. They genuinely are trying to help. But this was a Catholic family. And they went in. These other, other teams would go in and say they were pagan, you know, Wiccan or whatever. And that's all great stuff. But you're trying to then promote more of these ritualistic paganistic practices on a Catholic family, how much are the clients truly going to believe that that's going to work? 
mm-hmm. when they've been Catholic 50 years of their life. You know, so we always went with the client's faith. I don't care if you're if you're agnostic, we have to approach we have to approach it from that angle. Mm-hmm. If you're Buddhist, we have to approach it from that angle. We've had a one case, uh, we had a Hindu family. They have thousands of gods. So I had to do a, a ton of research into Hinduism and try to see like, what do they believe in? What can we do to help them? Mm. You know, if we go in there in that case and say that, you know, Jesus is going to cleanse their house and save them and protect them. They're not going to, they're not going to buy it. Um, so I think a lot of people were doing that in this case. Um, and that just goes with the notion that even with exorcisms and stuff, it's about reinforcing the clients to take responsibility, take control of their own lives. A lot of that is psychological. You got to make them believe it. They have to truly believe it. They have to put their intent into it. And a lot of times we've had clients afterward just tell us like, thank you so much. Like you brought me closer to God. You brought me closer to my spirituality and my sense of self. And that's what it's about. It's about helping these people. I don't care in what capacity, as long as we're helping them and we're giving them the truth. I love that. Do you think, and this is, I mean, even just for the sake of conjecture here, do you feel like, you know, you brought up a point which made my brain go here thinking, is there a reason why these entities or this energy is affecting, let's say in that example of a family that, you know, is practicing or comes from Catholicism. And there's a reason why they're picking up on these signals versus these other folks who might not necessarily be in that I guess you could say frequency out of a lack of better terms. So several theories. Um, again, all comes down to belief. Essentially, none of us truly know. Right. Um, you know, there's the one belief that demons are literal beings, mostly in the Christian faith. We we believe in this, especially Catholic. Um, literal beings that want to target Catholics or people that are faithful. Um, they want to kind of corrupt god in that way and then there's the belief that these entities these demons are merely a a chaotic form of energy much like a tornado right a tornado kills people or it can but you wouldn't call a tornado evil just by its nature it's a chaotic destructive force so demons can much be the same way where they're just uh, um, an energy on that spectrum that exists and they maybe they're just destructive by nature. I mean, there's a lot of people who actually perform demonolatry, which is worship of demons, where they actually use them, they pray to them, do rituals for them, where they get help from these demons, and they truly believe they do. Um, and and or there's the theory that essentially demons are a lower vibrational kind of energy that exists and angels angelic energy would be higher vibrational. And by lowering your vibration to kind of their level, they can afflict you. So those are kind of the three theories that I go off of or explain to people. And I think a lot of clients from our documentation and I can go back to 2015, um, almost every single case that has had a malevolent entity of some form, client has previous um, sexual abuse, 
some kind of abuse, trauma, some major trauma in their life, former uh, addiction issues, things that are essentially lowering their vibration to a certain point. And a lot of traumas, we all have traumas, right? Some people worse than others, and we suppress them in our bodies. And when we suppress them, <clears throat> they it's still there. We're just not acknowledging it. Spiritually, that's still affecting you. Energetically, it's still affecting you. And I think that these energies can just latch on. And then it becomes kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy where we like to put blame on external sources. We don't like to look inward. So everything all of a sudden is the entity's fault. Could be I tripped over my own feet because I'm exhausted and I'm not sleeping and I'm my body's not working as well, but I am attributing it to I, I got tripped by the demon. It becomes this, this cycle. And that's where we come in is we have to break that cycle. We have to make them not attribute every little thing to the paranormal. And that kind of has that dual effect, right? So I'm not giving power to an entity that may truly be there. I'm not feeding it. But at the same time, I'm reinforcing your psychology to better control your life and to kind of look inward instead of outward. That's a great point. You know, um, you brought up, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've known folks in my life that have done certain things, you know, and that, you know, and it's hard because you never want to discount what somebody's saying until you've, you know, if you haven't experienced it, obviously it's, you know, very subjective for them. Right. But it, you know, there are times where I, I feel like it's seemed at least that some people are just looking for something. And so when you go looking for something, I forget the theory, but you know, you're going to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I mean, that's basically the point. It's it's almost a form of confirmation bias where, you know, we, we talk about that on our website and stuff too. I talk about it during presentations is uh, this is what a lot of teams do too. Priests do it when they go into, you know, bless your house. If you have a negative entity or something, they go in there expecting that there's a demon or expecting that there's this or that. And because you already have that bias, of course, you're going to find it. Right. Um. You know, if I go in there as a Catholic and there's a malevolent, say there's a malevolent energy there, what am I going to call that malevolent energy? A demon. But if I'm agnostic, I might just be like, yeah, I had this experience where there was a puff of smoke that I saw, you know, but as a Christian, I would say it's, oh no, it's a demon. You know, it's everything's through our own subjective lens. We have to take that into consideration. Um, when we work with clients, even with each other, we have to check each other. Chris and I used to do it all the time. You know, Chris would be like, I'm getting this. And I'd be like, BS. That, you know, you're, you're pulling that from a, you were primed because you watched something on TV three hours ago. And now you're pulling that name. You know, you have to call each other out on things like that. Not that it's, you know, you're trying to be deceitful, but our brains like to trick us. Yes, I can, I can concur. You know, it's, it's kind of when, for me, you know, trying to do any kind of dream analysis, you know, I have to really think of back, okay, where's the symbolism coming from, you know, and then, oh, okay, I saw this thing. And that's why that image was in my subconscious. Okay, so that's, that's not something that should be in my dream, that's supposed to give yes. me meaning. So let's move on. You know, you have to go through that. You not everybody does. I think some people just take, like you said, you know, something triggers it, it stays in their subconscious, and then they, they're going with that. 
it's almost, I describe it almost as if like you get that superficial layer of that onion, you need to peel it back, get to the deeper layer and then analyze that and say, is this relevant? Where's this coming from? Like a lot of times, a lot of what Chris helped me do was kind of understand those layers. Like sometimes the first name that pops into your head is the name. But other times, nah, you know, I think I talked to someone or heard that name like four days ago and it's just in there. Right. You know, it's, I, it's, it's similar to like when I can just be doing my thing, going for a walk and this random song, like this eighties elevator song just pops in my head. I'm like, Why is that? So- oh, I must've heard it in a store somewhere. I may have, right. I went to a pharmacy and I heard it or the shopping mall or whatever. It's just so funny how our brain works. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and we're, I, I, I talk to, I work with a PhD in neuroscience, right? And of course him, he's nothing paranormal, it's real. <laughs> and, but, but I did get him to admit, he's like, you know, we act like we know so much about the body and so much about the brain. And he's like, we know nothing. We know nothing. And that's how I like to view it as people want to say that, like, I'm arrogant or they said the same thing about Chris too. That's why I think we're so controversial in the field. And I'm like, no, it's really just, it comes down to, we've spent a lot of time self-reflecting. And when you can look at yourself and kind of master yourself, as we like to say in martial arts, that's kind of the beauty of it is you can never truly master yourself, but it's the process of doing it that I think makes you move forward in, in anything. Um, but especially spiritually, you move forward by kind of letting go of ego and letting go of those notions that like, I have to be something. I have to be the best psychic in the world. Like, no, as Chris would say, if I get something, I get something. If I don't, I don't. It's okay. Um, so again, I think just self-reflecting and really realizing that stuff is really the key here. So we're, we're such a small thing in our universe. And, uh, again, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. In in your opinion or in in your experience, do you feel like there's something to be said about, you know, that universal consciousness where this is where maybe this energy is at play, where things are maybe in and out of that realm, out of a lack of better words? Yeah. So again, I think based on our experiences, you know, a lot of people like to use the word portal. I personally hate that word. <laughs> Why is the portal always in the closet? Why is it always in the basement by the water heater? You know, it's just like we put these creepy places in our brains and that has to be the source of all evil. And Chris and I would always have these deep discussions about well, how this is working. Like I could be at Dunkin' Donuts a spirit comes through like is there a portal in dunkin donuts i don't think so i think that when people talk about you know heaven hell whatever people think of it as up there down there i think it's like a veil and there's probably rules on the other side i would assume um chris and i both believe that there's free will still if we have free will when we're alive why would we lose that when we die so, but again, I think there's rules. So I think that even though we have free will, you can't just pop back over into the physical plane whenever you feel like it. But if there's a, a message you have to give to a loved one, if there's something you have to do, you're allowed to kind of slip through that veil, give that message and then move on. But I think the caveat is that once you're kind of 
in this physical plane, we have our own physical laws, our own natural laws here. And therefore, you have to abide by those laws. So that's why I think we don't have, we can't see spirits just walking around or we get a glimpse of an apparition and then it kind of dissipates. Because once you're here, the second law of thermodynamics states that you will then disintegrate if you don't have a feedback loop for your energy. So things like that um, is what makes sense both as, uh, as scientifically as possible in my brain, but also spiritually. So I think it's more of a veil than anything. Right on. I can align with that because, I, you know, obviously, you know, energy can't be created nor destroyed. Just, you know, <laughs> it can move. You know, and what's interesting is a lot of people use that first law of thermodynamics to explain spirits. Mm. Um, but what I mentioned is the second law, which is all about entropy. And for people that don't know what entropy is, it's basically all it means is it's um, everything essentially breaks down. <laughs> That's why we age. We are we are undergoing entropy at all times. The universe is undergoing entropy at all times. The universe will eventually collapse on itself. So if you are here in this physical world, you will disintegrate unless you have energy feeding feeding you essentially. Um, so the first law, yes, absolutely. But the second law, everything will still disintegrate over time, which I think explains why we don't talk to spirits Usually before a certain point, I think the oldest spirit that Chris and I have communicated with was from the 1400s. And that's rare. So to me, like a lot of people will say, how come every spirit you talk to is like from, you know, the 1800s, the early 1900s? And I'm like, I don't know, but that's my theory because, you know, you go only go back so far. Maybe there's no more messages to give after a certain point. You know, obviously there's no one living. There's that you knew things like that. Right. It gets into this whole whirlwind of, you know, discussions and portal, if you will. Right. No, I love that. It, you know, when we think of that, you know, that disintegration process, you know, and obviously we can think of even for some of us, we can think of scripture, you know, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, you know, and we, mm. if we are all part of this and what we've come from, if we've come from this clay and this dirt and we've, you know, then return, you know, that, that thought or that feeling of, being connected to, to all or the most high creating everything and uh, having that spark for so many people. So therefore can't really, can't really go anywhere or disappear per se, I guess. Right. Right. Um, but again, I think that's kind of the beauty of it is we're always here, but we're not, <laughs> you know, it's, um, you know, it's like we're made of the same atoms that were that were once stars, and you know, people get into that whole discussion with astronomy, and um, yeah, it's really it's really just a beautiful thing, and uh, I think that we have to use our time wisely when we're here, and I truly believe that there's a purpose for each of us, and whether we find that purpose is again a whole other discussion, you know people talk about soul contracts and things like that but um yeah i just I, th I think that we're here for a reason we're here there's lessons for us to learn but it's essentially up to us to get off the autopilot that is our society and look inward get off your phones you know take breaks from the tv you know get off the especially just like social media in general um i mean people just get so 
what's in front of them and they don't think, you know, I would say there's a difference between judging and discerning. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You know, these are things that I remember doing these exercises in massage therapy school where you, you just sit with someone and they talk for five minutes and you can't say a damn word. And like, that's awkward, <laughs> but in retrospect, like it teaches you to truly listen to what they're saying, listen to the tone and the inflections in their voice. And that is an active meditation, right? It's essentially teaching you to do that. And that's how on cases, Chris and I were always able to just, all right, I need to, I need to zone out. Boom. I just go into another realm realm where now I'm just tuning into all the sounds. How's the seat feel under my butt? You know, what's the temperature in the room? Do I feel any wind on my arms or current flow? Anything like that. Small details. I'm glad you bring that up because I feel like for yourself and Chris, it seems as though that by taking that time to work on mastering yourself and some circles will say to know thyself, you're tuning in and you're making yourselves be aware and self-aware and then environmentally aware of what's going on. And I think with all these distractions that happen in society, it's why we're less connected to one another and we're less connected to nature or anything else. Or um, would you agree with that sentiment? Absolutely. Um, you know, I always viewed everything kind of people talk about the Holy Trinity uh, and then there's kind of the holistic trinity, if you will, of the, you know, mind, body, spirit. And I try to personally live my life every day where I do something for my physical body, exercise, usually, <laughs> um, or eat just eating right. Uh, mentally, I meditate, I learn something new, I stimulate my brain, and then spiritually. So I'll, again, pray, meditate, things like that. And I would have conversations with Chris about this where it's like, well, the stronger and the healthier your physical vessel, aren't you then going to be a better medium for spiritual activity and things like that to come through? And I truly believe so. I mean, I again, I worked in a human anatomy lab. I see people's lungs that are dead from, I can pretty much tell who was a smoker, who was a drinker. You know, I see enlarged hearts all the time see a lot of obesity. Um, and I just think to myself, like, how are, if everything is waves and vibrations, how are things supposed to get through if there's a whole layer of adipose tissue, you know, fat <laughs> in front of us and, and things like that. And so I definitely believe in the sentiment that working on yourself, taking care of yourself, tuning in to your environment, again, that inward reflection is all vital. Um, to, I guess, understanding spirituality, understanding paranormal activity in people's homes. We always said that the case starts as soon as we get the call. Because it's not, like, I think a lot of people just, they wake up one day and they go, oh, we have a case tonight. Let's go get some good evidence. And then they go out and, you know, they have fun. They have an investigation. Um, to us, it's not ghost hunting. It's truly paranormal investigation. It's investigating some unknown claims from a scientific lens. Um, but that starts as soon as we get the call. I'm tuning in. I'm trying to see what I'm, what my brain's telling me, what my body's telling me. 
there's any spirits that are coming forward and giving me messages. I'm writing it down. If you wouldn't mind sharing, what was, what's, what's so far been a highlight as far as like most activity, something that absolutely just, you, you went in expecting one thing and you got something completely different. Oh man. Um, there was a case that we did in Milford, Connecticut and the claims were that, so it was a fam, it was a father, mother, daughter, and the father, um, he was drinking a lot and he thought that the spirits were driving him to drink and he was getting sick because of the entity in the house. All we knew was that there was apparently a death in the house at some point. So we went in and throughout the case, we actually found out that there was a suicide in the house and, and possibly another death as well. When the clients ripped up the floorboards, they found what looks like bloodstains all over the hardwood floor underneath, if that makes sense. And they didn't know what it was. They found like a rifle box in the closet. And of course, they're good. They're putting two and two together going, oh, it must be someone shot themselves. And I'm like, well, slow your roll. That's just a rifle box. A lot of people have guns. Um, however, the case, I remember we were there. And of course, it was as soon as we turned off the recorders just to take a break. And we heard a man yell, help. I'm talking loud, clear as day. We actually stopped the investigation. Chris and I turned on all the lights in the house. We walked the whole house. We walked the perimeter. We checked outside. This was a side street. There were no cars at the time. We don't know where this came from. But that was one of the claims, too, was that they hear a man talking or yelling help. And we're like, ah, damn. Of course, we turned off the recorder right when that happened, right? And so that scared the crap out of us. But then, as we're investigating, um, Chris and I were getting something with hanging. So this is, I think this is how someone you know, committed suicide, or they hang themselves. And it was upstairs, we believed, in one of the bedrooms. And sure enough, uh, I went over to an area and was like, right by the door, and was like, this is where it happened. And come to find out, we look at our evidence. And we were getting the name Kurt. And we were getting like 1950s, something like that. He was a young, young guy. We thought, I think, between 16 and like 20 years old. Well, we also found out that there was a boy named Kurt who lived in that house. And we were there on the 50th anniversary of his death. He committed suicide in the upstairs bedroom by hanging himself. We talked to a, f- um, a guy who's now in his 60s, I believe, who was a personal friend of Kurt's and the whole family when they were young. And he told us all about Kurt and some of the messages that we wrote down and some of the evidence that we got corroborated everything he told us about the case. We actually had the Milford Police Department look up the case for us. And sure enough, it, it really happened. We found his gravesite. We put the story together. 
and we think that he um he was gay and back then that wasn't that accepted and we think he was kind of ashamed of it his parents were very much um kind of the the way that they described it was kind of a hippie family um and what the, f- the former friend said that was really weird was that when Kurt died the next day, he went over the house. They had no idea. Family acted as if it never happened. Um, like nothing was wrong. Um, the brother went outside and played with them like the next, the next day. Um, when they buried him, it was very much hush hush. Wasn't in any newspapers, nothing like that. Um, he was bullied in school, and we think that's why he did it. Family went out um, grocery shopping, and he chose to stay home. And the vision that I got when I was there, before we knew all this, was of a woman running up the stairs and screaming. Okay. Uh, and that was pretty much what happened, is what, what we were told. So, lo and behold, we solved the case, we think. We, tell, we start telling his story activity stops they have not had a single bout of paranormal activity since we started telling kurt's story um and again that kind of reinforces the idea when we say there's definitely free will there's a reason they can come forward and give messages and things i think he just felt forgotten his family clearly loved him but they didn't really acknowledge his death they didn't grieve in the way they were supposed to um they just kept it under wraps and so we started telling his story at presentations and like i'm doing right now and the activity completely stopped right after that it was just it was such an amazing case of like we expected this malevolent entity it's you know causing this guy to drink and causing his health to decline and then we get there and it's a 17 year old boy on the 50th anniversary of his death, which was weird and just wanted his story told. So, so. Wow. Thank you for sharing Kurt's story. That's yeah. I, um, we have a picture of his, uh, gravestone in our files too. So I could always send that over to you too, if you want to. Yeah. It's, um, there's always so much energy that comes with someone's passing. Um, you know, I, you know, I lost my mom two years ago and there's always that. Sorry. Oh, thanks. It's always that there's always that energy that's different, you know, for, you know, my brother or myself or my father, you know, we each have our own, you know, personal feelings and maybe guilt or different memories or happiness or sadness and, you know, you know, I often wonder what that's like for that energy, for that soul, for that being, however, you know, someone wants to describe it. What's that experience like for them? You know, we're, we're told to allow folks to rest in peace, you know, and, um, and never speak ill of the dead, all these old adages, you know, and yeah, I yeah. often wonder, you know, have you, have you had any experience where like, there's a family like this. I mean, I don't know. My brain's going like three different directions here. I think yeah. with Kurt's story, you know, for that 
for that being or that you know that spirit to to feel unsung almost to want to kind of reach out and so that looming energy was affecting or this gentleman felt affected by it and so maybe he was interpreting that as you know drinking away that sorrow or that guilt or whatever it is do you find that some of that energy is now rubbing off on people in these environments or these spaces yeah um i think so it's again i think part of it is you personally you know how intuitive are you how how much do you kind of look inward and then you're better able to kind of receive those signals um like several people in the family in that case had experiences but it was mostly kind of him who he felt targeted Mm. um why i think because kurt's father was a big reason maybe why he chose to kill himself um not that the father didn't love him but that the father was very much the uh kind of the typical kind of blue collar tough rugged kind of guy and kurt being gay um probably wouldn't have flown over too well Mm. and maybe he just felt like he couldn't get through to his dad and so this guy being the the man of the family kind of in a way very similar to kurt's dad and i just think that maybe that connection that similarity might be why he was being targeted if you will um but also i mean they lived in the house that kurt lived in and grew up in and i believe that spirits visit places they felt happy mm-hmm. not necessarily like oh i died here like if you get in a car crash on the highway why as a spirit would i want to go back to that right. you know we have the same theory with cemeteries people are like did you investigate this cemetery and it's like well we've done cemeteries but i mean they're they're holy places and it's it's a place for the the physical vessels to to be laid to rest not necessarily a place for spirits mm. Um, so yeah, I just think kind of Kurt wanted to be in his home, but he wanted to be acknowledged that something happened to him, that there was a family that lived there and he was part of it. Um, yeah, that's all I got, I guess. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. We talked earlier. Well, actually you, you brought up, you know, some, some people, you know, into demonology, trying to work with demons, you know, I, can't help but think about you know that we hear the tales of like you know solomon the ring and demons and we hear about people maybe even just using ouija boards as devices or whatever have has there ever been a case where a family's brought you in where someone's thought that maybe they've done something to bring some sort of energy or entity in oh yeah there's that's actually a lot of cases um but it's always we don't they don't tell us the truth (laughs) we always find out the truth <laughs> um you know and it blows our mind because you you called us in to help you and now you're not telling us everything um which i get i get there's a lot of personal things that we're, we're complete strangers um maybe some things are embarrassing um i mean we do this for free and we're here to help you i could again i don't judge i could care less I discern the situation from an objective standpoint and we try to figure out how to help you. Uh, we had one case in particular 
where this woman called us in, kind of same deal. Uh, he's seeing an entity, which she's perceiving as a burned man. He was a, a soldier, from what she could tell, and he was burned from head to toe. His innards were hanging out, and she would see this guy when she went to bed at night. And so our first thought is, you know, sleep paralysis, things like that. You have hypnopompic or hypnagogic events. And um, so we we do the the case, and throughout the case, we're like, something's just not right. She's not telling us everything, or she's not, or she's trying to deceive us, either or. And as soon as like we say this, I look over at the bookshelf, and there's all kinds of spell books and i'm like okay i mean it's not uncommon again new age movement everyone has like some kind of wicked book lying around or something and sure enough a book falls off the bookshelf and it, it lands open and i'm like well i guess i could touch it now so i oh i grab the book off the floor and the uh page that it's open to is a love spell now to, to back up, this woman was living upstairs with her fiancé, okay? The husband was living downstairs at the same time. So, <laughs> he was still married to this guy down who's living downstairs, but then they separated and then she got engaged to this other guy. And they were all living in the same house. So, the dynamics, energy-wise, I'm, I'm like, can you imagine... No. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. Very, very different. I remember Chris and I looking at each other like, okay, I'll keep our opinions to ourselves. <laughs> and because again, I mean, we're not here to judge, you know, whatever. Right. But she told us that she wasn't doing anything like that. We asked her straight up, are you doing any spells, any rituals? Have you tried anything? Ouija board, you name it. No, no, no. Okay, fine. And so back to the, the love spell. There's a bookmark on that page. It's the love spell. And um, earlier in the night, I asked her if I was seeing a red candle. Now, red candles are usually used for love spells, things like that. And she, she denied it. Now, here we are. We have this love spell. And what we ended up finding out, what was happening, she eventually admitted to, she was doing spells to try to make her husband lose his desire for her so she could move on with this other guy and just a complicated situation but then she was doing trying to do money spells and she didn't really know what she was doing she was just kind of like going on the internet and buying stuff and trying it and we were like well are the money spells working for you She's like, no, I'm broker than ever. I'm like, well, stop doing them. <laughs> like, you know, look at it from an objective standpoint. Is this working? Yes or no? And then go from there. So she chose not to tell us certain information. And we ended up finding it out anyway, literally because a book fell off the bookshelf. So did a spirit do that? Uh, I don't know. But we got the answers. Um, you know, and Chris and I always used to joke like, you have two psychics and you're going to like lie to us. Like we're going to, like we're going to find out, like, you know what I mean? Like, 
Um, but that's honestly like most cases. I would say 80% of cases, it's there's some kind of pertinent information or information that's pertinent to solving the case that they do not tell us. We have to find it eventually just by kind of that investigative process. So, And I can only imagine what a client's reaction is when they haven't divulged all of the information or given you all the details. And then you come at them with the details and your findings, or maybe your, you know, your intuitive findings as well. Yeah. Oh, believe me, we've heard it all. We've heard it all. Um, that'll have to be for like a, it's more of a off the record because <laughs> you, can't, you can't say these things publicly, right. but um, definitely got some bar stories and things like that. Uh, yeah, no, sometimes they're, they're embarrassed. They're, they're kind of like, Oh, like you weren't supposed to know that. Um, and other times it's more of just like, they genuinely didn't think it was important and they, they don't mention it. And it's just like, well, that's why I stressed, like tell us every little detail, no matter how insignificant you think it is, because chances are it is significant. Um, but we get there eventually. Again, I, I think like just ECPS as a whole. I think when I ran the statistics on our cases one time, we had like a 98% success rate with cases. And the only case that caused that like 2% there was the case we were on for a year and a half that I mentioned earlier, and they chose not to listen to us. And that's why they still have activity. So I can confidently and proudly say that so far, we have a great success rate. Um, just telling people the truth. <laughs> Right on. What would be your advice then for, for folks that maybe think they're experiencing some activity? You know, is there anything that people could do on their own to kind of test these things before calling in folks like yourself or like, what would you say? Yeah. So definitely keep a journal. Uh, that's something that you're now objectively putting your experiences on paper. You're writing it out. It's also going to help you not to forget information, say, should you call us and be like, well, what happened three days ago? And you say, I don't remember all the details that helps. So keeping a journal for sure. Um, but also looking at patterns, that's mainly what we do is we look for patterns. If every time you experience paranormal activity, it's when you're in bed at night. Well, ask yourself, why is that? Is there something I can change in my environment to maybe explain away those, what I'm seeing or experiencing? Um, again, is there a certain habit that I'm doing? Like maybe it's, you know, I brush my teeth and I do this and I do that. And then boom, activity will now change up that routine and see if it still happens. Like just objectively thinking out things and, you know, like people say, um, you know, the, the electricity, the lights flicker, this and that Well, have you called an electrician? No. Well, maybe you should do that. <laughs> you know, have you, are you hearing creaking in the house? Have you called a plumber? No, maybe you should do that. Um, a lot of people with health issues, same thing. Have you seen a physician? Just go to an urgent care, get checked out. All you need is like you have clean bill of health. And that now that takes us, we can look at that and say, all right, we can rule out medical. Because you have to rule out everything logical, everything medical before you can even consider paranormal. I mean, how much of a disservice is that? If, you know, you have a brain tumor, God forbid, and I come in there and telling you, you have demons. 
you know, and now you're not, we're not treating the root cause of what's actually causing your, your activity, your symptoms. Um, and that's one thing we always stress by. We never cross those lines, those medical lines. Um, so yeah, I just think really just analyzing your situation and looking for those patterns is the way to go. Um, and if you do that and you're still having things happen, then that's when you could give someone like us a call and we'll come in there and then we'll start connecting those dots and helping you out. That's awesome. And, uh, I know, uh, you've got the website, uh, any events coming up anytime soon? Uh, usually in the fall. Okay. We, we do, we do a lot of our presentations and our events, uh, this summer. I think we have a couple new presentations we want to put out there. One of them is going to involve, um, I have all of Chris's sketchbooks from when he would do all his automatic writing and drawing. And I'm going to make copies. And I think we're going to do some presentations on cases that had to do with his drawings where he drew what was happening and things like that. Um, so I think that's kind of going to be a nice kind of tribute to him. nice memorial. And uh, any events, though, will be posted on our website and social media. So anyone who's interested in coming, um, mostly all of them are free. I think the most expensive one we do is like 10 bucks. Um, and that's usually the bigger ones, but yeah, anyone interested, it'll be on our website, easternctparanormal.com. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And you said you're on social media. I know you're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all those, anything else doing TikTok? Um, <laughs> no, I refuse to TikTok. I refuse, I refuse to do it. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. It, Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, this is something, um, to that. Chris and I had a lot of plans for 2023 and unfortunately his passing kind of put a dent on a lot of those. We were going to do a podcast ourselves. Um, we were, we're kind of still toying with the idea of getting our YouTube channel really up and going. Um, but with me being literally in school, 12 hours a day, five days a week, studying all the time, I just, we don't have time. I don't have time to do it. Um, so unless there's anyone out there interested in doing a uh, free video work, <laughs> free video editing. Um, but yeah, we had all these plans. And unfortunately, again, I'm just trusting the process and trusting faith that it's not the time to do it then. But um, we will get all social media up, except for TikTok. I, I still refuse <laughs> to do that. Yeah, That one's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I'm on board with that. Yeah. And I'm like, everything gets posted from TikTok to Instagram anyway. And I'm like, right. there's no point. There's, there's no, no point. point. It's it's moot. <laughs> yeah. Again, going with that self-reflection, I'm like, no, TikTok's just another thing for me to scroll on and go on autopilot and mm. waste my waste my time. Right. You know, blow out my eye muscles because I'm just staring at straining at a screen more than I already am. Right. Um I um Awesome. Well, good. I'm glad there's going to be some events coming up. Um, and I think, um, you know, again, I, I'm just glad because I, I don't think that we would be having this conversation if it weren't for Chris and I having our conversation before. And, um, I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this work. I, I just, um, again, collectively George and myself, uh, sincere heavy hearts for, for you his family, um, all his loved ones. It's, uh, I'm sure it's not been easy for you. Yeah, no, trust me. We, we really appreciate that. I appreciate that sincerely. 
yeah, like I said, it's it's definitely a process that we're now trying to get used to, but we know that he would want us to continue doing this. Um, I mean, he helped me form the team, so it's his baby just as much as it is mine. And uh, if that's just been evident since since he's been gone, the cases that we've done, we've gotten great results. So we know that he's still with us, and like he's with us right now. Yeah, I sent a few. So yeah, man, I <laughs> I feel it. I I really he's. he's He's cracking up right now. Like let's, <laughs> you know, he's definitely cracking up. Right. So it's we had so many great conversations, uh, well, different conversations within that giant conversation. But even after he and I had ended ended the call, you know, we stayed talking for a little bit after that. And um, yeah, I just yeah. I felt this like instant connection with him. And, you know, we talked, we toyed around with the idea of like, you know, doing like a, you know, like a podcast, like at like an actual location during an investigation. It was like, just like all these awesome, like ideas and thoughts and feelings that we were just sharing. And it just, I loved, I still love his spirit and his, just his energy and his love and passion. Um, it just unparalleled, unmatched, larger than life. Definitely. He definitely lived. Um, that's for sure. And like I said, he, he just, some of the stories that we have as a team with him, just personally, I mean, we still talk for hours as a group of like, remember this case? Like, and then we start cracking up. I mean, we, we think we're hilarious. <laughs> right. Um, but a lot of that, you know, those memories with him. And I mean, realistically, I've known him since late 2015. Um, I was closer with Chris than some people that I've known way longer. And uh, just goes to show that I really think that that, connection was supposed to be that it truly was fate that that we came together and found the team members that we did and just been going smooth ever since yeah he always reinforced that it was it was so funny when he would talk about like the connection that he had with you and the the, the bond <laughs> that the two of you had it was just like he's like oh man it was it was fate <laughs> like yeah yeah <laughs> No, for sure. I, you know, I, I even say now, cause people have asked me, you know, why don't you guys get another clairvoyant? I'm like, you know, one psychic's a lot too. <laughs> it's, it's no, it, I mean, it's tough to work. I mean, having two psychics on a team, you're going to get different things, different ideas. I mean, to have two psychics with similar philosophies where, I mean, Chris and I, believe me, just as co-founders, as business partners, we disagreed on a lot of things. But we were always able to compromise, to come to, you know, agree to disagree or trust each other. Whereas if there was something I really wanted to do, I would say, trust me, I got this. Uh, let's do it this way. It'll work. And he would trust me or vice versa. You know, there were things that he wanted to try or do. And I'd be like, eh, you know, I'm not on board with that really, but I trust you. And I don't know if there's another medium or another person that i could have that same connection with that i could trust both in a business sense and in a spiritual sense especially that's really the most important um but i mean again if fate would have it that another person happens to come by the team and step into that role great um but if not that's okay too i mean chris is definitely irreplaceable as is so um but we know he's there, like I said. So it'll uh, we'll see what happens. Right on. Well, I'm sure he'll be with you at every investigation from here on out as well, too. <laughs> he better get us some good evidence. I'm just saying. <laughs> get on it. 
I keep telling him, I'm like, you got to get us that TV show you've been promising for, right. you know. <laughs> get on it, Chris. <laughs> yep. It just knock something off the wall. Make, make it look good. Right. Make it look good. Hold on. Is this my good angle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was him. Him and I used to call each other and be like, what are you wearing today? You know, like, like, well, you know, like, like two women, essentially. Like, I remember, like, our wives would be like, you know, oh, who are you on the phone with? Oh, Chris. Oh, your your boyfriend. You know, I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we had we had a bromance, so I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, people always use a joke about that, like, "Oh, you guys are calling each other, making sure you're not wearing the same colors." Like, I'm like it's marketing; it's an image thing, you know. It's about the brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, we had all those kinds of conversations about like the brand and like, oh, if I wear blue and you wear this color, and like, you know, switch it off and. But I mean, I think that's part of what made, made us successful too, was we think of all those little details that a lot of people don't think about because um, everything matters. And I know that from business classes I took, everything matters. The typography you use matters, you know, color scheme, all of it. Yep. Um, sure does. Goes into your brand. So yeah, he, he'll, he'll be missed for sure, but good times. And there you have it. I can't thank David enough for all his time, his energy, and his space that he created as well. Since the recording of this episode, David has become a new father. So on behalf of George and I, we would just like to extend our love and our blessings out to David and his wife and their little girl, Allison. If you'd like to find out more about Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society, you can find out more information at easternctparanormal.com. And you can also find them on Instagram at easternctparanormal. All the links are in the description below. And if you're in the New England area, or maybe even outside the New England area, and have questions about possible paranormal activity, we implore you to reach out to David and his team. Again, this episode is very special, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention and remember Chris O'Connor. Chris, thanks for bringing David and I together. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're watching this episode, we sure hope you are subscribed to the channel. If not, take a moment and subscribe. Hit that like button for the episode and leave a comment below and let us know what you thought of this episode. Until next time, take care of one another and keep thinking for yourself. We had a case um, in Weathersfield, Connecticut. It was in a, it's an escape room, Lara's Labyrinth. Oh, okay. in Weathersfield. Ooh. So our audio producer used to work there, and she was like, "Yeah, there's weird things that happen in this escape room." So we investigated it. Um, there is activity in this escape room. Oh my gosh! And so I we I walked in. Chris wasn't wasn't on this one. He couldn't make it, and. Uh, I remember writing down, I walked to, we're doing renovations in the back where they're going to be adding another room. And I walked to the back and I was looking in the doorway and I wrote down altar. And then things were coming forward that I'm like, this was a church. And sure enough, it was a church. It used to be a church and now it's an escape room. And so you were talking about the imagery. Same thing. Some of the escape rooms have... Uh, pentagrams and you know right. things that are like evil and it used to be a freaking church and where i wrote down altar is where the altar used to be stop
And uh, we actually have, so we have video evidence of, we we put like a, you know, REM pods. Yeah. We put a REM pod out on a rocking chair next to one of these dolls that they have. And this REM pod didn't blip all night. Nothing. In the other room, I decided to open our Ouija board that we brought with us. And as soon as I grabbed the Ouija board, the REM pod motion sensor started going apeshit. And instantly, my investigator was just like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is a bad idea. And I'm like, see, but I brought it because for some reason, something was telling me that this was a trigger. And as soon as I grabbed it, the REM pod started going off in the other room, like on the other end of the business. Uh, And there's video showing that there was no one near it at all. You know, it's the only time it went off. Um, So that was cool. The spirit is actually a former parishioner. and on a, I guess same topic as the Milford case a little bit. He was gay, but kept it to himself his whole life and was ashamed of it. And this was a very kind of evangelical church, very conservative. And what do they have around the business? They have gay pride flags. They have the, the pentagrams, you know, so I'm like everything that goes wow. against kind of what this. Yeah. And I'm like, this is all coming together. So that was another case that was like, wow, like the psychic evidence is matching the evidence we're actually getting. And we actually got an EVP that was like a full sentence, like a full sentence. And we think we know what it says, but it was crazy because on video, you can see that no one is near the camera that picked it up at all. 